Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee and welcome to episode 43 of the Benzo Free Podcast. You know, I I had this long, drawn-out introduction today. Something about a bullseye, anesthesia, and the color red. Don't, don't even ask me to elaborate on that. But I'm going to have that wait for a little while. Like many of my introductions, I'm not really sure where it's going yet. Plus, it got a bit wordy, and I'm short on time, and I thought, let's put that aside for now. You see, I am just finishing recording the first three podcast episodes for November. I don't know exactly when I'll be back from the road trip, and I wanted to get a few of them in the can, so I have content to share while I'm on the road. Anyway, that leaves an empty introduction today, short as it may need to be, and, well, I guess I'm going to riff for a little bit. I, I hope you're okay with that. One thing I did notice a few days ago are the, the doors that Benzo Withdrawal opens. I'm going to try to be a little more positive here again today. We talk plenty about the negative things, and today with our feature and everything else, we'll be talking about some of the negative aspects of benzos. But in my intro, I do try to throw in some of the positive aspects of our lives and and things to focus on so that this podcast doesn't get all wrapped up in um, critical thinking and and ruminations and, and worry. You see, I have the opportunity... And many of you do through discussion groups, support groups, and friendships you've developed online or in person of getting to know people on a personal level, an intimate level, without all that superficiality that often precedes it in normal discourse that that we're involved in. I've mentioned several times on the podcast how much I enjoy corresponding with each of you. It's, It's one of the favorite parts of the job for me. It seems to me that even with all the communication tools we have at our fingertips, we appear to find more things to divide us than unite us. And often before we ever get the opportunity to really know each other. When you email me or fill out the feedback form, I know nothing about you, with the exception that you are affected by benzos in some way. I often receive one, two, even ten or more paragraphs from you, enough to start to understand you and where you are coming from. We chat about life, about joy, about pain, about healing, about travel and sports and anything and everything. And I think we get to do this because the walls which we normally surround ourselves with, especially in the isolation of this withdrawal, are lowered when we are talking with someone else who has, you know, experienced it or or been through it. There's that connection I've talked about before. 
When you first reach out to me, I don't know the color of your skin, your faith, your political beliefs, your childhood, your sexual orientation, career, social or financial status, or or whether the toilet paper you know should go over or under when you place it on the wall. <laughs> In fact, sometimes I don't even know your gender when we first start to converse. And this is pretty wonderful. You see, I am blessed. I get this amazing opportunity to get to know you without any advanced judgments. Your life has been affected by benzos. So has mine. Damn glad to meet you. And we and we go from there. With a few of you, after we correspond for a little time, I, I learn other things about you. And they just add, I guess, flavor to, to everything and, and make it all more interesting. Now for you, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, maybe it's different. I've heard from a few of you that you feel like you got to know me even before you wrote in through the podcast. So it's quite clear you knew a lot more about me than I did about you when we first started to correspond. You know, I put myself out there. I'm voluntarily saying, this is me. You know, as I say, words and all, whatever, this is me. And you come back to me and still want to talk to me. <laughs> so, so maybe that's a little validation or at least acceptance of who I am. And, you know, I think we all need that. I think we all enjoy that, that people get to know you like you've gotten to know me through the podcast and still want to talk with me. You know, Benzo withdrawal can be one of the most personal, intimate, challenging, and, and let's face it, life-altering experiences a person can face. And you rarely have the time, energy, or even cognition to dally with small talk. Instead, we usually dive right into the guts of it when we start talking. I, I don't know where this podcast will be three years from now. I, heck, I don't know where it's going to be a year from now. I, I have no idea what the future holds for the podcast, for me, for writing, for working within the Benzo community. I hope it keeps going, but I don't know right now. But I do know this. Right now, this is a blessing in my life. I don't think there's a better word for it. And you know, I really hope it's provided a blessing for you too. So there, I, I hope that wasn't too sappy <laughs> when I riff, I can get a little bit long-winded, but um, I'm going to try to keep it short again and let's move on with the rest of our podcast. Today, we return to our normal format, which will include our introduction, mailbag, benzo story, and feature. Our feature today is immune and endocrine symptoms of benzo withdrawal. This is the final installment of our 14-part series on the symptoms of benzo withdrawal. Whew. I can't believe we've done 14 episodes just on the symptomology of benzo withdrawal. You know, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad. Anyway, this feature will be a bit shorter, just a bit, since there isn't as much content to cover on the subject area, but there's still some good stuff, so please stay tuned Hang in there, and I think you're going to get something out of it. But before we move on, I do need to remind you that we still need feedback. I do want to add a little extra something in here today to say that while I'm on the road for the next two or three weeks, I may not be as responsive 
to the feedback as I have been. I really am sorry about that, but it might be slower for me to get back to you. I promise I will respond to every one of you as I always try to do, but it just might be later in the month before I get a chance to get back to you. But please don't let that stop you from giving me feedback. Questions, comments, stories, suggestions, corrections, additions, this is your podcast. And the more content I can share from you, the more Benzo Free becomes a community it was designed to be. So please, tell us what you think. Visit our feedback form at benzofree.org feedback or email us at podcast at benzofree.org. And don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org subscribe. And one last thing, the Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. If you happen to be listening to this podcast on one of our providers, please leave feedback on that carrier. This does help new listeners find us. Okay, let's move on to our mailbag. Today we have one question to share. There are a few more in the queue, and I'm always happy to get other ones. But for today, I'm just going to share one. This question is from Tracy. Tracy writes, My doctor is taking me off clonopin. Had no idea this was going to be so difficult. He said that we would go slow, but it's not been easy. Looking for something that will help me with anxiety that is not addictive. Without benzos, I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack. I, I get PVCs. That's an extra heartbeat. Been to the hospital for that already. I, I told them I didn't have my pill. And they said, oh, is that all? Gave me a benzo. It went away and sent me home. Does anyone know of anything that I can ask the doctor to help get me off this drug after being on it for 40 years? Thank you so much, Tracy. Well, thank you for your question, Tracy. It's, it's one almost every one of us has asked several times during our withdrawal period. But let me approach this from a couple of angles. First off, are there other medications which can help you with anxiety when coming off of benzos? Well, if you're looking for a medication to help relieve your withdrawal symptoms, including anxiety, then I don't have a lot of good news for you. Most adjuvant medications do little to alleviate withdrawal symptoms, and many can actually make things worse. Antidepressants have helped some people come off of benzos, and even Ashton mentions that they can be helpful for some people. And some SSRIs supposedly have some anti-anxiety properties. But these drugs also come with their own withdrawal complications, and that needs to be factored into your decision. Beta blockers do help severe heart palpitations and muscle tremors in some patients, but they do little to help psychological symptoms. And they too need to be tapered from slowly when discontinued. Many sedatives have similar effects of benzodiazepines, especially the non-benzodiazepines or Z drugs, which can have withdrawal almost identical to benzodiazepines. And some people have found some benefits from cannabis, mostly during protracted withdrawal, but cannabis is not usually recommended during your taper, and it can come with its own complications, and it's still illegal in many states and countries. Gabapentin is another possibility. 
and has often been prescribed for anxiety, especially social anxiety. It has been found to be as effective as benzos in some studies. Unfortunately, much like everything else on this list, there are concerns. Gabapentin's chemical structure resembles GABA. It increases GABA in the brain. Tolerance can build up quickly, and little is known about how it actually works in the body. Sounds a little bit like some of the same things we've been saying about benzos. And that brings us back to the question, are there other options? Perhaps some supplements or vitamins? Perhaps. But again, most supplements and vitamins never go through FDA testing, so we really don't know about their proven efficacy. And many people have claimed that certain supplements and vitamins have actually made their symptoms worse. So where does that leave us? Well, in my opinion, it leaves us where we should have had our focus in the first place. On more natural treatments, counseling, meditation, exercise, diet, breathing techniques, mindfulness, progressive muscle relaxation, journaling, gratitude, and so many others. Non-medication tools for managing anxiety often outperform medication in research studies, and usually without the sometimes life-altering side effects. I, I know it's not what most of us want to hear, especially when you're in the middle of benzo withdrawal, but it's what the research tells us. The best answer, in my opinion, is go back to square one. Do the work. Develop some tools and learn how to manage your anxiety naturally. That's how I got through, and how most others who I have talked to, who have had success, also got through. Thanks for your question, Tracy. I wish there was a simpler answer, something you could get from your doctor, but I'm just not sure that exists. And that closes out our mailbag. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback to share, please visit our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback or email us at podcast at benzofree.org. And now on to our Benzo story. Today, we have another audio story. I love reading your stories aloud, but even more so sometimes, it's good to hear someone else's voice on this podcast and, and hear a person's story in their own voice. Today's story is from Jenny in New England. Let's hear what Jenny has to say. Hi, my name is Jenny. I'm from New Hampshire, and this is my story. I call it Through Benzo Hell. I thought I was going to die, and then I wanted to, when I found out it was a brain injury and that my years of suffering from other health maladies were related, I got mad, very mad. I had been prescribed a drug that not only changed my personality, but it had worsened the exact symptoms it was prescribed for. If it couldn't get worse, it most certainly did when I completed a rapid detox from this prescription, which was approved by my doctor who prescribed them. I can only briefly account what I went through here, but I've written a book that is being published called Through Benzo Hell. It started with the use of Ativan as needed after the birth of my daughter. That was 17 years ago. I thought it started that way until I dug deeper. I had severe postpartum depression and was given many drugs to deal with the debilitating fatigue, racing anxiety, and constant body tremors, muscle aches, and inability to care for myself. 
17 years later, I quit the benzos. These symptoms raged back to the nth degree, and these horrible symptoms were added. Impaired cognition, extreme muscle and bone pain, loss of fine motor skills, unable to feel extremities, derealization where everything did not seem to be real, and depersonalization where I felt I was another being trapped in a body. And also something called air hunger. If you've never had it, be very grateful. And, of course, many other mental and physical tortures. What I finally put together after many months of research and reflecting was that I had been given a sedative during my labor at the hospital that sparked my symptoms when I returned home, which was essentially withdrawals. But the continued use of Ativan as needed over the following years, all while drinking socially, led to an increased need for more medication. I did not know any of this was happening, nor had I been informed that alcohol essentially kindles the negative effects of the sedative, further down-regulating the GABA receptors. It was when I started my dream career that I had worked three years to obtain that I experienced something so profound that I again sought medical help. I was told that Ativan wasn't strong enough and that I needed to be on a daily dose of Clonopin. That was over five years ago. At first, the drug was like a miracle. It worked to take away the racing heart, the weak knees, body tremors. It even helped with my muscle stiffness. That is not surprising, as I now understand that clonopin is also a muscle relaxant. I can honestly say that I was good to go for about five months, in which I taught middle school math, coached girls' soccer team, and kept up with my family's activities. Then life began to openly disintegrate, along with my mental and physical health. Memory and tendons were all but failing. My time was divided between being upright to accomplish what I needed to, and enjoying nothing, to laying down to rest. I thought it was a teaching job, which proved to be far more demanding than my engineering positions. I thought it was family stress. I thought it was my body aging. I never thought it was benzodiazepines, a class of drugs approved only for short-term use. This drug is prescribed for as many as one in five people under other names that we're familiar with, Xanax, Clonopin, Valium. I didn't even know that the drug that I was taking was in the same category as Valium. And this is not an uneducated person. I simply trusted my doctor and took this poison for three and a half years while my life fell apart and I chased individual symptoms by paying many doctors, rushing to ER visits, having surgery on my Achilles tendon, and adding more and more alcohol to deal with the paradoxical effects of using clonopin long-term. To say that I put my family through hell as well is probably an understatement and that the raging I did during this time was completely insane. All of these symptoms and more can be found at a very useful and life-saving site called Benzo Buddies. It was stupefying that doctors still prescribe this medication after thousands of anecdotal evidence found on the, this website alone. Google Benzo withdrawals and more, many more YouTube videos and testaments will easy, easily be found. This is not new information, and the problem of the epidemic prescribed benzos is getting worse, not better. It was my husband, not a doctor, who finally pulled the plug on this medication-induced craziness. I was battling with him daily over the behavior of our son. Our son is a kind, sensitive boy who had obedient issues starting from the age of two. However, his defiance had escalated to school, sports, and was affecting our daughter. I thought he had to go away for residential treatment. My husband said I needed to get off the benzos. I did not think these two issues were remotely related other than that the clonopin helped me relax for shorter and shorter periods of time as I grew tolerant on the medication. But I decided to prove him wrong and I went away to a remote location 
to rapidly detox off the benzo. My husband checked with my doctor about this decision and it was approved due to the quote-unquote low dosage that I was taking. This was the second worst mistake of my life, June 4th, 2018, second to not researching benzos when prescribed. But getting off benzos and healing for the past year has also saved my life as well. I was bedridden for many weeks. I most likely had a seizure while I was alone before my husband came to get me. I then had to move out of my family house in order to properly rest, and it looked like I had left my family in abandonment. As I said, I wrote a book in order to document the process of withdrawals and recovery, as it was so painful and the suffering was so beyond understandable for anybody who has not been through it. It is best described as purgatory, when I was wanting to die, but then was reborn. I am still in the process of healing after almost 14 months off, but my life has changed now, and I am no longer upset about being physically limited, but grateful for each day that I can enjoy any physical activity. I'm recovering my identity as a happy person. I'm making friendships far deeper than was possible before and reconnecting with my family after being a rock walking robot for many years. And my son is slowly re regaining his emotional regulation after watching me through this. What got me through this was support. Once I found Benzo Buddies Org and clearly identified myself as being in withdrawals, I was able to begin healing properly. This included reading about what foods to avoid, what types of stimulations cause setbacks, and being very careful about exercise and learning about mindfulness and that acceptance is the first step to recovery. But I also had a secret weapon that most people don't have that I'm positive accelerated my healing and keeps me on track for healing to this day. My Aunt Allison. She is an occupational therapist and loves me very much. After I got out of acute, which is a period of time where the only objective is her survival, Allison started me on a protocol of mindful activities that rebuild the body and brain connections while using active resting inter intervals for optimal healing. It was her daily support and her coaching that led me to where I am now. I'm currently completing my certification for being a health and life coach for benzo recovery. This training along with my experience will hopefully help others who have already gone down this horrific rabbit hole. I made this particular uh, post on Facebook, the stories where I um, became public and told everybody about uh, my recovery. And I just ended the article by saying everybody's recovery is as different as their DNA, obviously taking different um, meds for different periods of time. And then also the poly drug factor is going to induce different symptoms than I had. But my point is, is that we all can recover. I'm not a doctor. I'm a degreed engineer with a master's in education, and I'm committed to coaching others through Benzo Hell so that it may be healthy. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Jenny. I'm glad you found Benzo Buddies to help you find information about your condition. It's really great to hear that things are improving, both for you and your family. You've, you've learned so much, and it's wonderful to hear that you are now sharing that knowledge with others. Good luck on your book and on your coaching. I've put a link to Jenny's website in our show notes. I wish you well and hope you will keep in touch. Take care. And don't forget, we still need stories. I have four or five in the queue, but I always like having more so we don't run dry again, as we did a couple of months ago. You know the drill. Go to the feedback form or email us at podcast.benzofree.org. 
let's move on to our feature. Today our feature topic is immune and endocrine symptoms of benzo withdrawal. As I mentioned in our intro, this is the final installment of our 14-part series on benzo withdrawal symptomology. <laughs> we, we started this series back on March 6th, 2019. It was our eighth episode, and now we're on 43. <laughs> That episode was titled An Introduction to Benzo Withdrawal Symptoms, and it was immediately followed up the next week with the first of the 14 on anxiety. It was titled Anxiety, The Beast of Benzo Withdrawal. I have to tell you, it feels like that was ages ago. Since this is our final installment, I want to run down very briefly the different symptom categories we covered over that seven-month span. If any of these sound like they may be helpful to you, please go back and listen. You can always find them on our website. Here are the topics we covered in the past seven months. Anxiety. Benzo belly and general digestive symptoms. Anger, aggression, depression, and obsession. Symptoms of the eyes, ears, nose, and mouth. Cognitive dysfunction and memory loss head and neck symptoms, excitability symptoms, heart and lung symptoms, perception symptoms, muscular symptoms, insomnia and other sleeping symptoms, nerve sensations, social symptoms, and finally today, immune and endocrine symptoms. That's a lot of material, and I want to thank you. Much of what I have shared on this podcast came from you. I never could have done this without your input. Thanks for that. Now, don't think this is the end of the symptoms on the podcast. No, we're only getting started. If, if you have concerns, questions, or suggestions, let us know, and I'll dig deeper to find out more info, more research, updated information, and, and more tips to help you manage. But enough of reminiscing for now. We have a topic to cover, so let's go do that. Let's start with immune symptoms. Our immune system is critical to staying alive. It keeps us healthy by constantly battling foreign germs, viruses, bacteria, and other bad stuff like that. Yes, I'm sorry I had to get so technical there. <laughs> the wonderful thing about our immune system is that it can differentiate from the good stuff, more technical jargon, and the bad stuff. The soldiers of the immune system are the white blood cells. When they sense a threat, yes, some of that bad stuff, you're, you're catching on, aren't you? They multiply and attack. And this is all grand when it works well. But what about when it doesn't? Some people seem to get more infections during withdrawal. In fact, one of the more common symptoms people complain about are flu-like symptoms. Many people in benzo withdrawal seem to be prone to colds, the flu, ear infections, cystitis or inflammation of the bladder, mouth ulcers, oral and vaginal thrush, candida, fungal infections of the skin and nails, cracked lips, and it goes on and on. This group of symptoms is anecdotal and has been hard to prove or disprove, not that the others are any easier in that realm. Since most of us are under more stress during withdrawal, 
And we know that chronic stress can lower our immune system's ability to fight off germs. This all kind of makes sense. Professor Ashton said the following in her manual. It is not clear whether there really is an increased incidence of infections in people undergoing benzodiazepine withdrawal, because there have been no comparisons with otherwise similar populations who have not been exposed to benzodiazepines. In her manual, the professor does point out that many factors can affect our immune systems. Stress is a significant one. And there aren't many groups of people under more stress than those who experience severe benzo withdrawal. Another factor that might be at play is depression, which is also related to stress and increased cortisol. And it's pretty easy to see that depression, perhaps only second to anxiety, is one of the most significant effects of benzodependence and withdrawal. And yet, Professor Ashton did uncover some surprising test results during her research. She said the following, Benzodiazepine withdrawal can clearly be stressful, but strangely, in patients that I have tested, blood cortisol concentrations have been low. So this subject remains a mystery and probably merits further research. So if cortisol concentrations remain low, like Professor Ashton stated, then does benzo withdrawal really lower our immune system? Anecdotal evidence appears to say that it does, but aren't there any research studies that back this up? Well, actually there are. <laughs> you knew I was going there, didn't you? A study published in the British medical journal Thorax in 2012 suggests that widely used sedatives are linked to an increase in pneumonia by as much as 54% and an increase in the risk of dying from it. In this study that looked at just under 5,000 pneumonia patients across the United Kingdom, they found that prescriptions for diazepam, lorazepam, and temazepam were associated with this increased risk. And the risk of dying from the pneumonia was 22% higher among those taking benzodiazepines within 30 days and 32% higher within three years of diagnosis. Anyway, it appears that some research evidence does back up the anecdotal evidence that our immune systems very well may be compromised by benzo use and withdrawal. Still, another factor which might influence our immune systems is that people going through withdrawal might be living a less healthy lifestyle. Many can't exercise due to muscle tightness, body pain, or social phobias. And others have a limited diet and aren't getting the nutrition that they desperately need during this time. But, like all symptoms in benzo withdrawal, it still comes down to personal experience. Some people have experienced increased illness, even severe ones, during benzo use and withdrawal. Are these directly affected by the withdrawal? I don't know. But it's hard for me to believe that the toll which an event such as benzo withdrawal can take on the body and all of its systems wouldn't also make us more susceptible to illness. I believe I noticed the effects of a weakened immune system during my withdrawal via a variety of secondary symptoms that I experienced, but 
I can't say it was caused directly by my withdrawal, you know, for sure. Still, if benzos are lowering our immune system, what can we do about it? I think there is one thing I would focus on above all others, and Ashton already hit on it. Do what you can to improve your lifestyle. Exercise if you can. Eat a balanced diet if you can. And perhaps most of all, find ways to reduce your stress and anxiety. These are three solid tools you can work on to try and improve your health during withdrawal. I hope they help. And as for the endocrine system, we, we know that benzos have an effect, but there is little information on this topic from related studies. The endocrine system is a bit more obscure than the immune system. Basically, it is a collection of glands. These include the thyroid gland, the pituitary gland, the parathyroid glands, adrenal glands, pancreas, ovaries in women, and testicles in men. But all that being said, what do these glands actually do for us? According to an article on the endocrine system published in Live Science in 2018, the author described it this way. In general, a gland selects and removes materials from the blood, processes them, and secretes the finished chemical product for use somewhere in the body. The endocrine system affects almost every organ and cell in the body. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. And what do we call these secretions? We call them hormones. Hormones are big players in our lives. They, they circulate throughout the body, and each type of hormone is targeted towards certain organs and tissues. A perfect example is the thyroid gland. It secretes hormones which affect your heart rate, growth, temperature regulation, fertility, digestion, and many others. And that's just one gland. There are also many diseases which affect the endocrine system. The most common of these is diabetes. Diabetes occurs when the body does not properly process glucose due to the lack of insulin or that the insulin is not working properly. But let's get back to the topic at hand. Does benzodiazepine use and or withdrawal affect the normal functioning of our endocrine system? To look at one of the studies addressing this, we need to look at the HPA axis. The HPA axis is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. It is the central stress response system involving the hypothalamus, pituitary gland, and adrenal glands. When something stressful happens, Epinephrine and norepinephrine are excreted almost immediately, creating a system-wide response commonly known as the fight-or-flight response. Seconds later, the HPA axis is triggered by these hormones, and the various glands release CRH, ACTH, and eventually cortisol. Now, I could go on and on with this description, and I'm tempted because I'm still trying to understand the whole thing myself. In fact, to learn enough about the HPA access to be able to talk about it today, I went to a website called Neuroscientifically Challenged. <laughs> no kidding. I think I was their target audience. But all that just to say, the HPA access is a big player in our response to stress. And that leads us to a study I want to mention. 
In a 1999 study in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism, the author stated the following. The inhibitory effect of benzodiazepines, particularly of ALP, alprazolam, on the activity of HPA access has been clearly shown in both animals and humans. Now, now this is not a big surprise since we know that benzodiazepines work and they do that by suppressing in some form our response to stress. But I still wanted to share that here because it clearly states that alprazolam suppresses the activity of the HPA axis, which is key to a well-functioning endocrine system. Now, that's all well and, well, not so good, but how does that affect us during use and withdrawal? As I briefly mentioned earlier, the endocrine system affects a multitude of functions. If your endocrine system is out of whack, yes, another fancy medical term I'm using here, you can have problems with puberty, getting pregnant, managing stress. You might gain weight or have weak bones or even suffer from severe fatigue and many other complications. One of these complications that Ashton mentions in her manual is the effect benzos can have on a woman's menstrual cycle. Ashton said the following, Many women complain of menstrual problems, but these are common in the general population, and there is no clear evidence that they are directly attributable to benzodiazepines. A proportion of female long-term benzodiazepine users have had hysterectomies, but again, there is no evidence of a direct link with benzodiazepine use. So it appears the evidence, again, is anecdotal. But there does appear to be some commonality to the complaints. Ashton also mentioned that both male and female patients have occasionally complained about breast swelling and engorgement during withdrawal. But again, just like before, it's anecdotal. Geraldine Burns, who was a guest on our podcast a month or two ago, was one of the pioneers in the benzo community. And she was kind enough to share her experiences with complications like this. She stated, I started to have menstrual problems to the point I was now bleeding three weeks out of the month. I never connected the Ativan usage to the bleeding at that time. I had a hysterectomy in 1996. I had informed my doctor about the bleeding growing increasingly over the years, and instead of informing me it could be from the Ativan, she thought the hysterectomy would be a good idea. After the hysterectomy, I was told by my surgeon that my uterus was in perfect condition. That's a tough story to hear from Geraldine. Uh, the frequency of a woman's menstrual cycle can cause a lot of other complications. One common one that some women have experienced during benzo withdrawal is anemia due to frequent menstrual cycles. Please, if you are experiencing any of these symptoms, discuss them with your doctor and be educated on possible causes. The good news here is that most endocrine system issues do improve once withdrawal is complete. But in the meantime, it's a good idea to remember that the experience of withdrawal can play havoc on our entire body. 
and being aware of these changes, getting them checked out when needed, and knowing what is causing them can go a long way to easing the fear they may cause. You know, it appears that our immune and endocrine systems, much like many other symptoms in our bodies, can be affected by benzodependence and withdrawal. And we should be aware of this going in. And that wraps up our feature and our entire 14-part series on the symptoms of benzo withdrawal. I, I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any additions or feedback about today's topic or about any of the different symptoms we've covered, please let me know. I'll be happy to add them in in future episodes. And before we get to our moment of peace, please bear with me for about 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. The way this works is that I will give a brief introduction, perhaps a suggestion of something to focus on. Then I will play a soft bell which will indicate the start of the one minute. This will be followed by another soft bell which will indicate the end of the one minute. And that will be the end of the episode. Feel free to continue to meditate if you choose. If not, continue on with your day. Please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place, where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for a minute. Today we are going to return to the old standard breathing meditation. Every five or six episodes, I try and return to this method of meditation because it's the simplest and often most effective form. The instructions are this. Focus on your breath. Pay attention to the breath entering your body on the in-breath and pay attention to the breath leaving your body on the out-breath. That's it. Our breath is the wave of life. Pay attention to its rhythm and let all your troubles flow by. Let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day.
one more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. Then let the breath out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally and focus on your breath. If your mind wanders, which it will, just gently bring it back to your breath. No judgment whatsoever. Continue to do this for one minute. Next episode is episode 44, and it will be released next Wednesday. Thank you again for joining me today, and please, let me know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.